Good morning. Is everybody enjoying their morning so far? Good, excellent. Just the ones who got the presents, I think. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, um, I'm going to read to you. But if you've got your Bibles and you want to find, we're going to read from John chapter 1, starting at verse 6. I'm just going to share for about 15 minutes um, something from the Word of God. Uh, So it starts off talking about John, but then moves to Jesus. And it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And it starts to talk about Jesus. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So it says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So there's Jesus at the beginning. The world is created. Jesus comes in flesh, and the world does not recognize him, which I think is strange because I know exactly what Jesus looks like. And I'm going to show you a picture of Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus, of course, is fair-haired, blue-eyed, white, okay, just like me. In fact, better than that, he's English. He's called Robert Powell, or, or as I like to call him, Bobby. Bobby. So this is Bobby. He's the proper English. Now, I know you're thinking, wow, it can't get better than a blue-eyed, fair-haired, white English Jesus, but he does. He's from Manchester, He's like the perfect, now there are fake, you heard of fake news, this, there's fake Jesuses as well. So I'm going to show you a fake Jesus, okay? Uh, this is another Jesus. This is the American Jesus. Uh, this was a guy in, um, he was born in Washington, USA, and he's from uh, the States. Uh, but you can see what they've done. They've done the same kind of thing, haven't they? They've made him kind of like good looking. Who thinks he's good looking? Give me a wave if you think he's good looking. Anybody? Okay, Levon fancies Jesus. That's slightly <laughs> slightly awkward, but we'll move on. Okay, so they've made him kind of cool, kind of good looking. Uh, he's, he's the American Jesus. We'd like to see the African Jesus. Okay, this is <laughs> Mike would like to see the African Jesus. I had a joke, but I'm filtering. Okay, so this is the African Jesus. Okay, he, again, good looking. Would you say, Mike? He's good looking. He's a good, good looking African Jesus. You go, to, you go to Africa, sometimes I go to Africa, sometimes you'll see pictures of Jesus like this. Who would like to see the Indian Jesus? Okay, this is the Indian Jesus. <laughs> Nobody laughs. Because he's also, I think, the slightly scary alien Jesus as well. There's something just not quite right about this picture, and I can't figure out exactly what it is. I just instinctively know there's something wrong, but um, lots and lots of different types of Jesus. Every one of them made in our image. Uh, so the proper English Jesus, Bobby, looks like me. Uh, and most of us want a Jesus who looks the way we expect them to look and can present, be presented to people the way we want to present him. But sometimes the truth is awkward. Um, so in actual fact, Jesus came, uh, uh, was born obviously in Bethlehem, but came from uh, Nazareth. And uh, that town's quite big. I had a PA who was from Nazareth. It's quite a big town now. In the days of Jesus, there was probably around about, historians think, 200 people living there, eight to 10 extended families. 
and the, the Discovery Channel decided with the BBC um, to go and figure out what the real Jesus probably looked like. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. So they went to this place, they, they got up some old schools, they went back in, in history a little bit, they kind of did one of those computer things and they figured out, got hair from people locally to figure out what the Jesus, Jesus most likely, the kind of shape of face, the colouring, the kind of look that Jesus would have had. So I'm going to show you a picture of what Jesus may well have looked like. Now, when you were praying before and you had your eyes closed and you were praying to Jesus, praying to the Father, whoever it was you were praying to, you may want to avert your attention from this photo, okay? Because this may spoil your worship from now onwards, okay? But this is what Jesus more than likely looks something a little bit more like this. Shrek. <laughs> so Jesus comes into the world... And the world did not recognize him. Why did the world not recognize him? For the same reason that you and I sometimes miss God in our lives. And the reason we miss God in our lives is this. It's not because we don't know what he looks like. It's because we've decided in advance what he looks like. And if he doesn't fit that, we don't recognize him. So I want to talk about the blessing of recognizing Jesus uh, this Christmas. And it's sad, you know, because... Not only do we not recognize Jesus, sometimes we don't recognize who God sees us as as well. You know, God has a vision for you. And God's vision for you is bigger and better than you would imagine. God's vision for you is nicer. The vision he sees of you is possibly nicer than the vision you see of yourself. He sees you clothed, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you your sin, he sees you clothed in his righteousness. He sees you, when he looks at you, if you repent of your sins, if you're following him, he sees you, the Father sees you the way he sees the Son, because you're clothed in his righteousness. He has a vision for you. Wouldn't it be sad if in 2018, we not only miss God in our lives, we miss the person God created us to be as well? That'd be sad. But there are reasons that we sometimes miss, uh, miss him. First of all, he may not do the kind of things you expect him to do. So John, who, who recognizes Jesus, says this in uh, John 1 verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why was it that other people couldn't recognize Jesus the way John did? You know, there are lots of people who were looking for the Messiah in those days. Um, there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees basically thought like this. They thought, one day God's going to save us a saviour and he's going to rescue us from these terrible Romans and, and if we can just get holy enough, if we can be pure enough, if we can be godly enough, then God will send us this saviour. So when Jesus turns up, he talks about purity. He talks about a new kingdom and I'm pretty sure the Pharisees are getting really excited. Here's our boy. Here's the guy. And then one day... It's as though maybe one Pharisee is walking along the road and he hears some laughter and he, and he hears Jesus' voice. He thinks, oh, I'll go and see what Jesus is doing. And he pops his head through the window and there's Jesus with the, the tax collector and the prostitute and the sinner. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, mm, that can't be, he can't be the one. Because the one we're looking for acts a certain way. 
Then you had the Essenes. The Essenes were like the hippies of the Bible days. Uh, the Essenes kind of felt, well, no one's quite as religious as us. We're going to separate ourselves. We're going to go live in the hills. We're going to have our own schools. We're going to have our own businesses. We're going to have our own community. And we're going to, when the Messiah comes, he's going to know we're the ones who really got it. And when Jesus comes, he talks about sharing. He talks about community. He talks about all those wonderful things. But he goes to Jerusalem where the sinners are. And they think, oh, so near yet so far. Or maybe the zealots, the zealots were like the, the kind of righteous guys. They were going to bring about God's kingdom through force. Can you imagine how excited they were when they saw Jesus and he could heal the sick and raise the dead? That'd be great. If you had an army commander, when you died, he could raise you from the dead. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And he's talking about a new kingdom. They're getting excited. But then one day, they overhear him say to his disciples, hey, listen, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his bag a mile, carry it another mile as well. We know what the the Messiah looks like. We know what the Messiah looks like. Um, A a writer once said this, and I thought it was really good. A.W. Tozer um, said this. Whatever drops into your mind when you think about God is singly the most important thing about you. You know why he said that? He said this. He said, if you believe in God, whoever you see God as, you will eventually become to other people. It's an interesting thought. Whoever you see God as, if you worship him, you'll eventually become that to other people. Um, I've got a picture here of a racing car because it sums up to me, this may sound strange, the Pharisees' view of Jesus, or God, I should say. So um, I was listening to a, a guy who um, does uh, Formula One. He was British. He does Formula One. It's a bit like NASCAR, except they can go both ways. But anyway, so <laughs> sorry. Um, so uh, he was. They said to him, "How do you avoid hitting the curb at 200 miles an hour?" And he said, "It's really easy. You don't look at the curb. If you hit, if you look at the curb, you'll hit the curb, or you'll drive so far away from that curb, you'll smash into the other curb." So you have to imagine the perfect driving line. That's like the Pharisees. The Pharisees lost sight of the perfect driving line. They lost sight of God. And they thought, we can't touch sin. We can't touch sin. We can't touch sin. Bang! Legalism. And they became judgmental. That was their view of God. They became it to other people. So I was thinking about this. I thought, if that's true, if the way I see God is the way I treat other people, what what if I flip that? What if... I look at the way I see people, does that reflect on how I think God really is? And some of that was a little bit scary. And I thought, you know, if I recognize who God is really, then maybe I'll have a better vision of other people as well. Maybe I'll have a nicer vision of other people. Maybe I'll believe in other people more because I'll start to see them the way God sees them. How many broken relationships do we have in our lives because we don't see people the way Jesus sees them? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could? If this year coming up, we not only recognize Christ for who he is more clearly, but we recognize others because we recognize Christ. Second thought I had about this is that sometimes he may not answer your questions the way you expect him to answer them. So John, he's, he's proclaimed Jesus, okay, so he's talked about Jesus. He's, he's baptized Jesus as Jesus grows up. He's telling everybody, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy. He sees him before anybody else does. And then one day he's in prison. 
And, and something odd happens. This is what Jesus, this is what John says in prison. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, so he hears about what Jesus is doing, he sends his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is come, or should we expect someone else? That's hard. Because he's just told everybody Jesus is the one. Now he's in prison, he's asking the question of Jesus, are you the one? What's going on here? What's interesting is Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer. So that's not unusual, because rabbis taught not by question and answer, they taught by question and question. In fact, some people, some historians have said that Jesus was answered, uh, asked 300 questions in his ministry, and he gave a straightforward answer to three. But Jesus asked about 100 questions in his ministry that we know of. So if you were to ask Jesus a question... You've got a one in three chance of getting a question asked back to you and a one in a hundred chance of getting a straight answer. <laughs> why is that? Why would, why would rabbis do that? What, what's going on there? See, John, John is asking a question, but is John's question the real question? What's, what's behind John's question? What do you think is behind John? He's saying, this is Jesus, he's the lamb of the world. And then he's saying, he's in prison, he's asking, he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. And he's asking the question, are you the one? What's going on there? What's happening? Well, they're cousins. He's the Messiah. I'm in prison. Why am I in prison? Why, why is he not setting me free? And so John has this question, but the question is not the real question. There's a deeper question. And Jesus understands that. And so Jesus uh, replies, but he does what many of the rabbis do, is they, they, they reply with questions, and they, they want to put per, a person, they want to put us, God wants to put us in their place, in the sense of understanding. So, so I, I was, um, this was explained to me once uh, years ago, that the way rabbis would ask is they would ask a question, and if you ask the question back, then the conversation would keep going. The minute you stop asking questions, the conversation stops. So I'll tell the story. You may have heard it. Forgive me if I've told you this before. But there was a lady who was in Israel, and she was looking around, and she was thinking about buying a photo from uh, the holy city. And she thought, which one shall I get? So she walked into a shop where there was a Jewish guy, and uh, she said to him, um, she wasn't sure which one to pick, so she said to him, which one of these is your favorite? To which he, he asked her, are you married? Which is a little bit odd. But she thinks, oh, that's a question. I've got to answer with the question. She says, yes. Why are you asking? And he says to her, do you have children? She says, yes, I'm married. And yes, I do have children. I have three. Why are you asking me? And he says to her, which one's your favorite? So suddenly... What's happened there is she gets her answer, but not only does she get an answer, she, she has understanding. These feel like children to you, and I know what that feels like. Does that make sense? So um, this is my little, you have to forgive me, I started ministry in school, so I do little object lessons, but I find they work for adults as well, particularly Bob and Howard. So, so sometimes we have questions here, and we want to get to the answer as fast as we possibly can, don't we? I've got a question. I want an answer. What should I do? Where should I go? Should I be with this person? Give me an answer. And sometimes in my imagination, it's a bit like this. It's, it's as low as a knot that's stopping us to get to the answer. 
something more important than the, than the answer that we don't understand yet. Peter says to, to Jesus, how often shall I forgive my enemies? And Jesus sees or not, there's something more deeper than that you don't understand, which is grace. And there are some Christians, go, and this is sad, they go through their whole life looking for answers, but ignoring the thing that God wants to give them understanding about. And the reason that is, is because we stop the conversation of awkward questions. We ask awkward questions to God. God's not in heaven going, I really hope they don't ask me this one because I don't know what I'm going to say. But then he'll ask us awkward questions back. And as we keep asking questions and allow him to ask us questions, eventually he gives us understanding. And when we have understanding, it's interesting how quickly the answer comes afterwards. So sometimes this year we could, maybe even this year, you've missed God in your life because you've been wrestling, looking for an answer. I need an answer to this. I need an answer to this. And you're looking for an answer here, and God's over here trying to give you understanding. And sometimes we have to look back and say, Lord, this is some understanding, something deeper, some principle I've not understood yet. I know I want this answer, but is there something else you're trying to teach me right now? A third and, and kind of final thought is this. You see, when we have understanding, there's a couple of things that happen. We can join in with him in what he's doing rather than forcing on him what we want him to do. Um, we can pray more effectively because we're praying in his will. When we pray in his will, God will answer our prayers. We will live more victoriously because we can follow his plan rather than ours. But thirdly, he may not use you or guide you the way you expect him to. This is what Jesus' reply is to John. It's interesting. He says this. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, loads of leprosy are clear, cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's odd. So John asked the question, go and ask him. Jesus says, here's some stuff I'm doing. Blessed is a man who doesn't fall away on account of me. What on earth is going on? So what you have to understand is that in those days, uh, the Jews were looking for a Messiah and um, the, the Sanhedrin, which was like the religious government, if you like, um, would send out people to check out false messiahs, literally with a checklist. They had a checklist. The checklist was of seven things the Messiah would do. Seven things the Messiah would do. And uh, so if, if there was a false guy saying, I'm the Christ, they would go, have you raised the dead? Have you done this? Have you done There was a checklist. So John says, Go and ask Jesus, is he the one? And Jesus gives him some stuff. You can read them with me, I think. So let's, let's look at them. Um, he says this. Um, go back and report to what you do. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lows have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Anybody notice anything? There's only six. One of them is missing. Anybody like to guess which one it is? The prisoners will be freed. All seven are from Isaiah. The prisoner will be freed. Jesus is telling John something by not telling him something. He's basically saying, I am the one. I'm not going to set you free. I know that's your real question. I'm, I'm going to use you differently. I'm not going to set you free. When John hears that, I don't know how he reacts to that. 
exactly what goes on in his heart. But, but that's powerful. Because sometimes we're saying to God, well, are you the one? And he's saying, yes, I am the one. But I'm not going to do in you what you think. And then he says this, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. See, John was losing sight of Jesus, which always leads to pain. Always leads to pain. Um, uh, many, many years ago, um, on the 10th anniversary of the organization that we led, um, some money was raised so we could go on holiday and uh, for four, like take a four-week sabbatical. They raised a lot more money than expected so I could go anywhere in the world. So I like surfing. I'm too old to do that now. And now I just lie with fins and go on the big waves. And, uh, and I thought I'd go anywhere in the world I could go because they raised a load of money. So I bought my second favorite book in the world, which is this, which had all the different surf spots in the world. And I found out the best place to go in February for surf, by the way, just in case you're interested, it turns out it's Barbados, which sounds great to an Englishman. I'm thinking, that's great. So I got, I read about this book. I knew everything about this book. I was absorbed by it. I thought, I need to go training. I need to get myself fit. So I went to um, a gym. I know you can't tell, but I went to a gym. This is many years ago. And I'm in there, and it's one of those gyms with lots of different TVs, yeah? So I, I used to do this hill run. So I'd put 15 minutes on. He would do his incline. I'd start to run up the hill. And I'd be like, after three minutes, I'd be shattered. I'm like, Jesus, come come now. Any time now would be good, you know? And I'm running up, and I'm absolutely shattered. And I'd be looking at all these different videos. And normally it was Oprah Winfrey, and there was someone there called Frida, and they used to be called John. And the routes to meet a long lost friend and have a makeover and all. It was all that. And it was boring. So I've been up for three minutes. And one day, on another screen, it had these guys in Thailand or Indonesia, it was, surfing. So I've done about five minutes. So I took everything off. I ran over here, put 15 minutes on, put the headphones in, and I'm watching, I'm watching. I got so into it, no word of a lie. They went left, I went left, and fell off the machine. I go back on the machine, and for a third time, I set the whole thing up, started running up the hill, and run up the hill, and then suddenly the machine broke. I'm like, oh no, what's happening? This is really cool, what's going on? And it was flashing 15 minutes. I'd done the run, I just hadn't noticed. Because when you have vision, you don't notice the pain and the suffering quietly. It's not that God takes it away, it's just you don't notice it the same way as you did. What John happens is he loses that vision, and he notices the suffering. And maybe, maybe this year and this next year, maybe God's not going to take the pain and the suffering away. Maybe, maybe there might be things next year that are worse than this year. Maybe. But with vision, it doesn't matter as much. When you recognize God, you don't feel the pain and the suffering in the same kind of way. So recognizing Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be, is a powerful, powerful force. Can I encourage you? Proverbs says this, where there is no revelation or where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Now, we, we work for, with young people. This is the fox hill in my wife over here. We work with young people for 30 years now. It's very rare do we talk to them about what they should and should not do. Here's what we've learned. If we talk to them, thank you, Mike. If we talk to them about vision and who God sees them as and help them find their vision in God, we don't need to tell them that stuff because they're just self-disciplined themselves. As a parent, it's something we've learned over the years is to try as best we can give our two boys an understanding of who they are in God and give them vision. And they'll be fairly self-disciplined by themselves. So it's all about vision, seeing who Jesus is. But let me just encourage you with this final thought. In Matthew 16, 11, verse 6, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, you will be blessed if you follow me 
even though I may do things differently from the way you expect, you'll be blessed. You'll be fulfilled. You'll have hope. You'll have contentment. You'll have joy. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Here's the problem. What if we're looking for God here, thinking when God does this, I'm going to get really involved in what God's doing. And while we're investing, in, while we're looking for, for God here and investing in this, God's over here doing something. What if, for those of us who are Christians and followers of Jesus, we're looking for revival, we're looking for God to do amazing things. We're thinking, when, when God does something in the church, when the, when the numbers really grow and explode and, and people are on fire for God, it'd be amazing. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to give to that. And while we're thinking about church services, God's doing something in our community. Wouldn't it be fantastic if, yeah, we were excited about this, but we got more excited about what he's actually up to? You know, we saw a great video before of what was happening inside a room. There were two videos made of that. We made one, uh, which I thought was really good. Levon made another one, and uh, it was really good. We're going to show you that video now. This is what happened when we took out the singing onto the street. It's really short, but just maybe it catches a little bit of the atmosphere. I loved it that 13 families invited us. We, we went in, we, some of us, we went in and we were able to go in the home and pray for the home. It was wonderful. Here's my question. Why is it we spend so much time as Christians, so much of our time, money and energy inviting people when Jesus spent so much of his time getting himself invited? You know, this morning, Jesus wants us to invite him into our lives. Not the fake Jesus, the real Jesus. Not the one of, of my life, but the one of the Bible. And maybe this morning in 2018, maybe you're going forward and you're knowing in your own heart and mind, I have a slightly fake Jesus I'm following, and I need to rediscover who the real Jesus is. Maybe there are some of you this morning who you've never, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said that prayer, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. Become the Lord of my life. When you do say that prayer, mean it in your heart, everything changes. The way God sees you uh, changes and your future changes. And this morning we'd love, as we finish in, in a few months, to give you that opportunity this morning uh, of just making that commitment to, to Christ. So um, I was going to ask us just to bow our heads and close, close our eyes if that's okay. And um, the band's just going to come up just really quietly if you can, guys. Um, so first of all, I'm just going to give an opportunity to those of you who are Christians who um, you know that you've got a kind of fake Jesus or you're making Jesus do what you want him to do. And you want to just say, Lord, I just, I just need to recognize you for who you really are and follow who you are, not who I want you to be. If, if that's you this morning, you'd like to respond to that. I'll say a prayer on your behalf and, and you can just join me in this and say amen at the end. Lord, forgive me for, for making you in my image. Forgive, forgive me for only following you when you go where I want you to go. Forgive me for only allowing you into my life in the parts that I expect you to come into. Help me to recognize you for who you really are and follow you for who you really are. I commit to that, Lord. I commit to finding out who the real Jesus is. Amen.